If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. Your next game is going to be horny. I refuse this. <laughs> and here's why. In this series of episodes, we're diving into Tiefling society. In the first one, we looked at Tieflings banding together. In episode two, we looked at what it felt like when Tieflings were cast out. And in this episode, we're going to look at how do Tieflings incorporate their unique physiology like their horns, animal horns, horns, I refuse your insinuations into their lives. I'm Travis and I'm his brother, Jordan. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) we're going to look at some interesting facts about hypothetical tiefling biology and think of ways that they could use them to their advantage and how that would really come out over the long haul when a society has been kind of developed Uh, mostly around tieflings and their unique things like tails and horns. And we're talking about uh, Desert City, like the one that we kind of introduced two episodes ago in the beginning in our introduction. So if we look at the example that we used in the very last episode of Tivius, the discarded tiefling coming up to that city, what's he going to find when he gets there? What's it going to look like? We're going to double dip on another archives of the ancients for this one. This is the Archives of the Ancients, where knowledge is unearthed to add wild insights to our world. Okay, so we wanted to explore a little bit more around the different features of tieflings and what they really got going on, because they got some wild stuff, but... When kind of doing some cursory research, what you found was that a lot of there's a lot of resources out there for different shapes of horns and and stuff like that. Like it's all very visual and surface level around tiefling horns and different approaches that you could take. And that's all well and good. But we wanted to kind of take a different stab at that as to how that would actually factor into their their relationships and their society and all of those kind of things. Yeah, so most animals use their horns for either aggressive behavior or intimidation even. In some herds, like animals, in some herds of moose and deer, they just use them to intimidate other males during mating season because you probably don't want to run up and fight with something that's got way bigger antlers or horns than you. Well, and it kind of just keeps that pecking order of within the herds and establishes who's leader and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so that's how nature do (laughs) that's the basics yeah and that that social hierarchy those bigger animals with the bigger antlers and horns are usually the leaders for better or worse which can play into societies in really basic ways but there's also interesting things like the shaping of cattle horns that i thought that tieflings would use because tieflings are intelligent humanoid creatures and they can you know have a little more influence on their horns so just from a, the perspective of personal preference, like you don't just 
get out of bed and then just let your hair do whatever the hell it wants. <laughs> you do something with it. You style it. Like we're ultimately we're vain creatures. Yeah. And tieflings we, probably don't escape that. <laughs> and I mean, from a from that consideration too, when you're a tiefling, yeah, you've got these everyone else is sporting just hair. I've got a horn, so I can style these bad boys however I want. Make them pop. Yeah. I shine them up, wax them down. And something I didn't know that you can do with horns that I found out that a lot of farmers did is actually shape the horns. So, like, for example, if you've got those cattle that's horns stick straight out from the sides of their heads and you want to hurt a bunch of them, that's probably a bad idea because they're going to be <laughs> poking each other bunches. Scoring each other, lots of missing eyes. <laughs> yeah, so they would just attach these little weights to the ends of the horns, and the horns would start going down. As simple as that. So what could a tiefling do, and what could that? What implications could that have in their society, or their social structure, or their friendships, and their style? I mean, you could make forms, you could make products that actually take shape, or different even stages of horns. At stage one, you put this form on there, and this is going to shape your horns this way. Hmm. And then past that, you put on this form, and now it shapes it the other way. And now you're getting into really elaborate patterns yeah, and yeah, some pretty wild stuff. Over your lifetime, you could do a lot with that. And I was thinking maybe the like as a society, they could shape them in the ways that their ancestors had them, kind of an emulating their heroes kind of a way. Interesting. So like shaping horns to better reflect a previous tiefling hero. Yeah. Cool. Or they could shape the horns of their children in ways that maybe are said to bring out certain qualities of mind. There you go. If you've got some tiefling traditions going on, maybe it's in response to them behaving in ways that are opposite to that quality. So if you've got a kid that's really aggressive or wrathful, then you shape their horns to face themselves to remind them to be patient or something like that. That's cool. <laughs> what about like social uh, social roles? So if you go into the justice bent of, of your role in a tiefling society, so in this desert town, yeah. you have different jobs and different functions, whether you're a, a politician or you're a soldier, or whatever the case may be, you've got, I mean, granted, every, maybe you have a pretty wide variety of tieflings, but every tiefling's horns are then shaped depending on their their role. Yeah, and they're instantly recognizable in their own community, but not outside of it. Cool. Kind of like going back to that dwarf thing, like if you did, well, I guess tiefling communities would probably all be different, but if you did somehow both come from the same tiefling society, then you would recognize somebody based on their horn shape. Yeah. As to what they did or where they come from. Or... Yeah, you could do a clan shape. Regardless of the horns, every horn from this area of the world or this clan it has like an upward bent or a downward bent or a. Yeah. yeah. You can be accepted into that as an outsider, but you would still form your horns to model them. Cool. So there's a lot there. Then if we move to tails, <laughs> again. Animal tails are even more diverse and wild. Like animals use tails for everything from swatting away bugs to swimming to keeping their balance to grabbing onto branches. Like it just never stops. Yeah, that's true. That's like an underserved, I think, aspect of the tiefling because in previous versions, they actually had prehensile tails. Yeah. And now they don't in fifth edition. 
But still, there's a lot of things that you could use a tail for. Again, I mean, you could adorn your tail. Mm-hmm. You could give it all kinds of stuff. I guess it really depends on on whether or not all tieflings are kind of uh, homogenous and they all look something similar. Yeah. Or if you really do take that that other approach, which is do is every tiefling got some of that a specific type of devil blood in them? Just a mix and mash. And, yeah. yeah. And so you get really wild interpretations of what that would be, depending on you know how your genetics worked out. But you could have spikes, you could have a big fat tail. But how do so how do tails actually have a practical application in terms of a humanoid? Well, most if we do look at that kind of typical devil based tiefling, they're kind of imagined as having a larger wide tail. And this project that's being done by Japan's Keio University called the Arc Project is pretty wild. They created robotic tails that are inspired by seahorses that hook onto your back you strap onto your lower back what the shit and they help you with balance and coordination they're developing <laughs> them for the elderly and for use in workplaces no shit that is wild so we're all going to be running around with tails pretty soon yeah yeah i hope so so as far as balance goes though so the idea is you've got this tail and it it acts as the counterbalance yeah to all of your movements yeah like these videos were showing a guy leaning over to the left and the tail would go out to the right and it makes perfect sense when you see him kind of do these motions that is bizarre <laughs> wow well so how does that factor into tiefling society then with an exceptional balance more so than regular humans would have what are different ways that that would wait what about really really high platforms like you wouldn't if you had an exceptional balance then you wouldn't necessarily need guardrails like us idiots need yeah (laughs) because we'll just go tumble off of stuff willy-nilly if we don't have them so yeah what if the this ideal desert tiefling city that we've invented has no guardrails anywhere and they're really they're not they're okay with every high railing kind of scenario where a railing might be needed yeah they're okay with that being even thinner so like <laughs> it's death defying to walk some of the upper reaches of this city gives them a thrill and yeah. yeah they can easily keep their balance on it i like the idea of tieflings being more sure-footed and yeah more agile like that it's almost too bad that they don't have a natural bonus to their dexterity to that effect Tieflings can have that cloven hoof. Yeah, that's true. And there are no better creatures on rocks than (laughs) goats. So, I mean, yeah, it could be really bizarre how you would change a city based on a whole bunch of sure-footed, tailed humanoids. Yeah. Booking it around. Yeah, buildings with just like that thin spiral around the edge as a walkway up to the top. Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. It's just like... Two inches wide. And like, even, what is this? Yeah, and even to describe children playing on like a rickety, scary, narrow catwalk. Yeah. Like it's no big deal. Or I just love the idea of, of you know, walking by a cliff face and having it peppered with tieflings that are either disguising themselves or just poking out to look at you or something like that. Well, and it's those kind of details that really sell a place as being foreign. If you really want to make players 
feel like they're somewhere totally different. Like this is brand new. These are the kind of elements that you need to introduce there so that they have to make uh, athletics and acrobatics roles just to navigate the city. Yeah. Because it's like, this is totally new to you. Yeah. City of natural rogues. That could be a lot of fun. All right. What do you got next? I found some more ants. <laughs> I know we've <laughs> talked about bugs before, but these ants are pretty wild. And they link to the tiefling because they can endure insane amounts of heat. So they're the Saharan desert ants. And okay. Nanfeng Yu was originally intrigued by these ants because of their silvery appearance. He said they looked like drops of mercury on the sand. Hmm. They forage in the hottest part of the day. We're talking like 70 degrees Celsius or 158 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's because their predators can't take that midday heat. Wow. They're, they're all hiding. So they have all of these boiling sands all to themselves for like 10 minutes a day where they scavenge the corpses of other bugs. So you've got tieflings with hellish resistance that really are not bothered by, by that kind of... How hot did you say it was? That, that's 70 degrees Celsius. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> what do we complain about in the summertime? We complain about 30. The 40 is like the hottest 35, it gets. 35, 40. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. So yeah, in that's 158 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. That is wild. So these tiny ants have even tinier hairs that are triangular in shape. And these also help to keep them cool. They bounce the hottest rays of the sun off because of their unique shape, which gets into some science, but <laughs> that's the basics of it. Interesting. So yeah, it reflects all of the infrared radiation, all of that that like actually causes like surface temperatures to rise on your body. Yeah. It reflects a lot of that, at least. And they also create a dull surface, which reflects the slightly less boiling rays of the sun. And that's how it creates that silvery effect. Interesting. So it's kind of like these principles are kind of like those space blankets that you see. They're a bug space blanket. Yeah. <laughs> They've got it figured out. So you're I can see where you're driving at here. <laughs> you're talking about a reflective tiefling. Well, I mean, maybe not like... <laughs> A shiny metallic skin tiefling, <laughs> okay. but it might be kind of cool to have their skin just like catch the light in the right way sometimes. Interesting. Like it's almost like a second underlayer of skin maybe for a tiefling or or something. Yeah, just something that you don't always see. Yeah. And they could use that to communicate with each other. They would know exactly how it worked if they were living in the desert all the, all day long. That's again, going back to that otherworldly like, hey, you're not in Kansas anymore yeah. uh, when you're seeing some of these like desert dwelling tieflings and your city campaign in the dark, dank alleys of Baldur's Gate. The tieflings don't get a lot of uh, opportunities to reflect sunlight, but in the <laughs> expanse of the desert among kind of their their element. Now, all of a sudden you're seeing, whoa, I didn't know tieflings actually did that. Yeah, they do. Fun fact. They glitter in the sun. <laughs> so I don't know. I always like applying minor scientific stuff to the wild magics of D&D. &D. Well, it just adds that extra level of like details, details, a yeah. little bit of grit, a little bit of interest. Other ways that this ant concept could apply, you could have roaming packs of tieflings that are scouring the edges of the desert, kind of attacking and retreating civilizations that can't follow them back into the hottest parts of the desert. Going back to the Huns. Yeah. <laughs> so they're they're able to to just kind of raid if they need to. 
you know, I mean, they're surviving on the on the fringes of the desert. Yeah. They can actually make the journey, whereas most people couldn't. Yeah. What humans would call a desert town is them being on the outskirts of that hot part of the desert. And if you're attacked by this group of tieflings, you're like, I'm not sending people in there. After I can't them. go there over yeah. those dunes. Yeah. yeah. Our horses will die. We just we can't do it. Maybe these tieflings would even set up heat traps that they can move through, but other humanoids can't. So if you're talking about the tieflings being able to work with fire easier, they're making maybe glass surfaces Ooh. out of all the sand, and they're just creating these reflective heat traps. That's interesting. Yeah, some kind of... Oh, yeah, when you, when you walk across the desert and then you step on a part that doesn't give way <laughs> because the entire just underneath the, the very thin surface of sand is glass that might blow away, you know, the sand on the top and just start cooking anything that's on yeah. above it. Or you could even, man, I'm just going wild here. You could have like between the dunes is kind of that bowl. And what if you stepped into that? And it was a slippery glass surface that you just fell to the center of and couldn't get out of. It's like, oh, well, Jesus, I'm cooked. Yeah, <laughs> I can't climb to the edge of this. That sucks. And then to, to kind of the counterpoint to all this tieflings soaking up the sunshine. I mean, tieflings do have superior dark vision as well. So they are also very comfortable in the dark. Mm. And so all of their homes in this desert land might be super flipping dark well and then even if you did try to mount some kind of rallying attack against this tiefling town in the desert now you're going into a darkened space it stands to reason that we wouldn't need any surface lighting in their city at night yeah so you're trying to mount an attack against something completely in the dark <laughs> that's unsettling like yeah. storming a dark city. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. When you have the clear disadvantage and you're carrying a torch, lighting the attackers up, like yeah. you could see them from any guard tower running through the streets of the town because they're all using torches. They can't do anything about it. <laughs> That's so good, too, because like you might try it. Think let's storm their town at night because they work so well in the desert heat. So let's hit them at night. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> they work twice as well in the night. <laughs> We're screwed, everyone. We Turn this boat around. We're heading back. <laughs> yeah, that's horse shit. I'm not, I'm not down for that raid. <laughs> but I was thinking, too, if you are an outsider in their town and they do have fires for either warmth or for light, because maybe some tieflings prefer the light. Sure. Then all of those fires would be much closer than humans might put them in their homes and tunnels oh so like you might just be uncomfortably close to the fire all the time because they can walk right past a fire and they're fine yeah because they're hellish resistance yeah interesting you're just skirting it uncomfortably and awkwardly if you're moving through their spaces down to the little details you could have like where somebody might have a candle or something like that you might have just like a little chest holder mm. and you could have a sizable fire in there because you really don't like that keeps your hands free. Yeah. Hey, I've I've made this little fire in this in this weird little chest bandolier thing. It would be burning anyone else's face, but yeah. for me it's just a nice just... warm. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is getting weird. Cool. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I can really envision this town now. Like it's it's pretty visceral. It's pretty pretty clear to me how 
foreign and interesting and vibrant. You know, even there, you could start, you could dive into their marketplaces and their hierarchies and all of these things based on their horn shape and their their physiology and and the architecture that is specially designed just for them. Yeah, yeah, it just goes deeper and deeper with a few basic concepts like that. Man, I love that. That's good. Awesome. Well, I don't know. I'm tapped out for now. How are you? I feel good about that. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully you got something from it. Yeah, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any other thoughts on what you would like to hear us cover, reach out to us on many of the, the platforms that we do. If you know anyone with an iPhone, get them to write a review of this uh, of this podcast. It really helps us out. And it just goes so, so far in terms of rankings and ratings and all kinds of stuff like that. You wouldn't believe. Anyways, we really appreciate all the support from anybody that has supported us, especially those folks on our Discord. So feel free to come and join us. Uh, you can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and Reddit. Thanks to Tabletop Audio, where you hear the sound effects in this episode and everyone like it. So thanks for listening and play Play great great games. games.